Welcome to Paintbrush and Ivories, the podcast for artists, curious creatives and art lovers that connects creativity with the heart and soul. I'm Michelle Walker and I'm here with my creative soul sister, Jennifer Ruth Russell. Hi, Jennifer. Hello, hello, hello. I'm so grateful to be with you, Michelle. How are you? I am great. Uh, It's very cold here at the moment, so early starts and it's lovely and sparkly and still quite dark outside. How about your part of the world? You know, we have been having some refreshing rain, which is great, except at a painting outside that got ruined. But, you know, that's all right. It was meant to be something else. Oh, (laughs) right. (laughs) Well, rain in California, that doesn't happen that often, does it? It's pretty rare. And it's always appreciated. Yeah. Welcome, welcomed. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So today we're going to be talking about the road to mastery. And I know this came up for us when we were talking embracing ourselves as an artist and how do we get to the point of feeling comfortable or feeling accomplished. This is a big topic, I know, and I know a lot of people struggle with it. Why don't you lead us off, Jen, and tell us what do you think when you think about mastery? Well, I know the mastery is such a a word that rings true in my heart because it's something that I desire. I wouldn't say... I'm a master yet. And I know many people that we consider masters also do not consider themselves masters. So I think it is such a journey. And I think it is a journey of excellence, the excellence that we're striving for. But I do believe the process comes in so many different forms for each one of us. The process of how do we stick with something until we get good and good and better and better And how can we be at the highest zenith of our game? You know, I call it a game because that's how it feels like to me. Yeah. And I I think it comes in many, many different ways. Have you felt that you've mastered your craft at different times, at different levels? Yeah. I, I, I have felt that I've mastered a certain level. Yeah. You know, and then there's always another one. Yeah, there's always another one. (laughs) There's always another one. But I will say, I think maybe we're talking today more about that level of feeling okay in the world with what you do. I don't know if that's how you see mastery, but I'd love to hear what you what you think about it. I think mastery is both a concept and a sort of a bodily feeling. And the idea of knowing uh, the arc of a creative journey from idea through to fruition. When I can run that arc with confidence and without getting stuck and abandoning it, that for me feels like a small degree of mastery that I know that if I want to create this thing in enamel or I want to create this painting that I know how to start, I know how to move through the various phases, and I know how to bring it to fruition, accepting that sometimes those art forms are not exactly what I imagined, but I'm happy with that. It's more that I start with an idea in order to get started. And mastery for me has probably, well, I I just want to share a quick story. At the very beginning of my jewellery making about 18, 19 years ago, I remember this moment at the soldering bench and I was soldering up a bezel setting, which is a thin sheet of metal that you put onto a base and you put a stone into it and you push the edges over. It's called a bezel. And 
it's quite thin metal. And I thought I was a bit of a master with the soldering torch early in my career. And I remember just this moment as the whole thing just melted in front of my eyes, not when it was not supposed to, you know, it was one of those, what <laughs> just happened? And I kept that piece of melted metal on my jewellery bench and I've still got it there, you know, so many years later. And it just reminds <laughs> me to be humble. It reminds me to expect the unexpected. It reminds me mm -hmm. to, um, in that case, there's a, there's a great concept in jewellery work where we think about the transition can happen very fast. So from metal being a solid state to a liquid state can happen in an instant or appear to happen in an instant. And our job as jewellers is to expand that window where the transition happens so we've got more control. And so one of the elements mm. of mastery for me with my jewellery making was to understand where those transitions were potentially going to happen and take me beyond where I wanted to be. And so expanding that window so I had the capacity to pull it back as opposed to staring at my soldering block <laughs> at a lump of metal that wasn't supposed to be lumpy. <laughs> so, you know, that that's one element of, of sort of the mastery concept for me is this idea of the arc and embracing that it might end up at a point that I didn't quite envisage, but that that was okay, but that I was able to manage the transitions and the, and the sort of stages so that I was still happy with the outcome, that it worked basically, that it was still a thing, you know, that the bezel setting stayed functional. I had to do another one obviously for that one, but, you know, that I've got that capacity. So there's a degree for me in my practice of where I think of mastery at that level. Yes, I love that story. And you know, I want to talk about too the what is it that keeps us going? Because you know, when we're starting something, yeah, they're not really masterpieces. You know, when I look back at what I did in the beginning of my music career, I, I cringe actually when I hear my own voice and like, what did she think she was doing? Why, why did she keep going? How did she think she was good? You know, <laughs> and I, I realized that there is a seed that was planted in me. And I know it's planted in each one of us of excellence to continue going to what is that thing that drives us? You know, we've seen the great masters like they think what we think is exquisite. They think it's like no big deal, but they continue to strive for excellence. Mm. And I'm thinking too about the times when I wrote songs for different reasons. I can see when I wrote for assignments, okay? I remember one moment in time when I was in a lyric class and I had this emotion of a connection between two people. And it was such a live energy, a moment of being inside the hearts of two people that I was the observer on. And I said, if I can capture that and put it in a song, then I will have succeeded. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, if I can do that with songs, with lyrics, and, and if I can make people move into a feeling of this that I'm feeling right now, then I've succeeded. Mm. You know, I was falling in love with this guy and I wanted to write a song that he would love every single day. And so that was the stimulus, right, for me it was approval. Absolutely. It was approval and wanting him to get on board with what I was doing. But that also helped me put in those hours 
or those songs. I love what Malcolm Gladwell talks about in Outliers, you know, is that we need to put in 10,000 hours. He, he yeah. did this whole story of success, what makes people successful. And he found this one ingredient that everyone had put in 10,000 hours. Yeah. And I think they can look like so many different things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the, the time that you spent in, in land management now has become the, the seed for what you're doing in your, your abstract landscapes. I think they're beautiful and they, they make sense to you in a different way than they make sense to me when I see them, but they're universal. Yes. The career in environmental management has definitely become an entity on the canvas. I think Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours concept is really strong. And while I didn't read that book that catalyzed this, I did hear a piece of advice from an artist who I admire, Jane Davies. She just said, make work. Don't think about mm. it. Don't, don't stop and analyze it necessarily. Just make work. And because I came to painting fairly late in my career, like I'd done lots of bits and pieces, but you know, really I'd done jewelry and silversmithing for quite a number of years. That when I came to painting, I felt all at sea, the opposite of mastery. And I yes. really uh, was, I guess one of the things about the painting was that it, I wasn't painting for a product, I was painting as a process. So I took up painting and that became a way that I could guide others rather than my own practice so much of a focus it was actually to guide others to sort of help them connect with their creativity and to grow their self-awareness because what we do at the canvas is what we do in life so I love that concept but it sort of meant that I came in the back door of painting as an artistry form and as of seeing myself as an artist in that medium so when I did say I embrace this, you know, I really want to get into this. There's something about smushing this paint around on canvas that really does light me up. And I wasn't quite sure at that point what it was that I really wanted to say, but I thought, again, if I could communicate some level of beauty of nature, beauty of the human spirit, that's why I was sort of drawn to painting goddesses and Buddha heads. <laughs> you know, so. That, that changed, you know, but that was definitely a seed. Yeah. And I love, I love how you're, you're telling us that story of how you kept moving to the left, to the right, to different things that started to draw you into, like, it's never a finished product. I don't think we ever are. You know, I'd love to hear too, you're doing some amazing jewelry now. Can you look at the full spectrum of that journey when you began and how has it morphed into what it is now? I am so enjoying kind of coming back to my enameling and my jewellery after painting. Well, one story is that I came to enameling through a sort of an aspect of enameling called painting enameling, which is where the glass is ground so fine that you can mix it with water and it, you make up a canvas, which is just a white opaque surface on metal of enamel. And then you paint on it with these painting enamel. So I'd been painting and that was a great transition technically. So I felt like I was bringing some of those skills and some of those sensibilities and perhaps lack of fear into that enameling. And I've since done a number of different types of enameling that are really grabbing me. But probably one of the things that I think about is some of the techniques and experiences within my painting is understanding value and design. 
So coming back to my enameling, I've got a really strong eye for what I think I want to do at this point. And I think that for me, mastery, we've we've sort of hinted at this. It's not a destination, but it's definitely, it can be plateaus in the journey, but it's this sort of result of feeling like, oh, I just can't wait to get my hands on those things or I can't wait to do that thing. You know, it's this inner drive of joy and the expression of myself, which I think is, you know, part of the whole artist's story is that we feel this desire to express ourselves. So, yeah, for me, mastery, and I've, I've sort of looked into the concept and the way some others speak of mastery. And I like the idea of it not being about, you know, the grand masters, as in when I think about the masters, the great masters, I think of Monet and I think of Picasso and, you know, one, they're always male, two, they're usually got this high pedestal that they're on. And I think mastery is not about that. It's actually about really in, in a focus, a focus on what we love and a pursuit of expressing that in the best way that we know how at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Does that resonate? Oh yeah. It has to be fun. It has to be joyful. And I just uh, got very into the, the series, the Mandalorian, you know, I just, what they did with the visuals and everything. And so I was listening to the director and he had a round table of all those that were helping him. And it was fascinating to listen to their, stories because each one of them had a moment you know when their dad took them to see this movie or when they saw this the storytelling of jurassic park or star wars or something and they were all there because they had had original experience of like a spark going off they also were geeks you know they geeked out on it you know mm -hmm. they were so mm -hmm. they felt so much in love with it that they went to see every star wars movie this one guy uh, was on there just simply because he had done a study of George Lucas, every single detail of everything, right? And oh, so he wow. was just there to to say, hey, yeah, you're in alignment or you're out of alignment. You know, this is too far this way. This, you know, no, George would never think this way because he had gotten into George Lucas's head. You know, he was that much of a geek about it. And those are the hours too, right? Yeah. Those are the beginning of the hours when you just you fall in love with something, you you just want to do it over and over again, no matter what. Yeah. And I think there is a place too that when you start thinking, oh, this is just fun. And then like, oh, wow, this is really something that I am going to be doing. There's a transition mm. there mm. between just like, let's geek out on this and like, wow, am I seriously take this out into the world? And I think there's something that we haven't really talked about yet, but I know it's part of my process. So I need to say it. And that is whenever I'm writing a song, I'm thinking about the audience. I'm thinking about somebody listening to this song. I mean, they say that a rose blooming on top of an isolated mountain has so much life purpose as much as one that's that's blooming in, you know, a famous garden and being seen by thousands of people. But to me, I don't know if I'm that much of a master to be able to write a song without anyone else hearing it, unless it's just for me. So I do have this desire every time that I start writing a song for it to relate and to touch the heart of somebody. I know if somebody cries, if somebody is touched deep in their heart by listening to one of my songs, I've done my job. Yeah. Because that to me is where I can see that feedback coming. It's kind of like I say, you are speaking my prayer back to me when somebody comes and says to me, that song touched me so much. 
and I listen to it every day so I can really grab what you're trying to say. So there, to me, is also another beautiful system that we have in the world of other people responding to what we've created. Mm. And to me, that is also a sign that you're coming up to a certain level of mastery, that other people are starting to be affected by your work. Mm. Yes. I have cried listening to your songs. I know that. Mm. I don't think about the audience so much for my paintings, I do think about the wearer, obviously, from a functional point of view, but also from a delight point of view when it comes to my jewellery. So that's really interesting. And I just doubling back on your comment, I remember the moment and it was day two of my first course in silversmithing. It was the morning of the second day and I came into class and I just said to myself, I recognised in myself I was having so much fun that I was in love with this silversmithing thing and I was going to be doing it for the rest of my life. And it was so clear to me. It was like someone had just, I don't know, put me into a garden and I just had every joyful thing that I could possibly think of, flowers and butterflies and birds, you know, like it was just one of those moments of great, (laughs) great recognition, you know, of something that brought me joy. And I think coming back to your comment about the audience, One of the things that visual artists can sometimes get stuck on is thinking about what other people think. Now, I know that's different from what you're Mm -hmm. saying, so I I recognise the distinction, but when I paint, I don't paint thinking of the audience, but when I exhibit, I think of the audience, and that's when there is Mm -hmm. a degree of feedback that I can get a sense of what people are seeing in my work Because it's abstract landscapes, it's not perhaps quite as obvious as other 2D art forms that might be representational. You know, you're doing a portrait of someone, it either looks like them or it really looks like them or it doesn't, you know. (laughs) So there's three choices. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas abstract's a little more interpretive and it leaves a lot to the viewer to get from it what they want. And I do get a sense of what I'm talking about. You know, this is about a paddock with a white fence or this is earth symbols or it's, you know, like it's that particular feeling. I did a pair of paintings called Forest Shadows and there was a, a bird call in the name of the two and they were both birds that I heard here. So there was a definite energy experience sense that I wanted to communicate. But it's an interesting thing not thinking about what people are going to see or say because that can actually be a roadblock to Mm -hmm. expression. I feel like my job is to say what I want to say and then when it's on the wall, stand beside someone and have a chat about it or at an exhibition have a talk about what my art's about and have that conversation with the audience. So it is an interesting distinction and I think going back to a comment that you made earlier, which is how we can find frustration at different points in our creative path. And I've got to say, I think this is most common when you're new to something. Certainly was true for me. Yes. Mm -hmm. Revisiting my painting experience, the numbers of times in the early days where I got stuck and I didn't know what to do next. I didn't, I knew it wasn't working, but I just didn't know how to make it better. And this has got to be the main thing that I help others with when I'm running out workshops or women's creative retreats is that 
working through the stuckness and it's both a technical thing but it's also a mental mindset thing yes do you get stuck with song making <laughs> is there is that a thing yes oh, well okay yes <laughs> yes it is because i think there's such a balance you know of being um if you want to be commercially in the game or if you don't want to be that's fine i mean i'm i'm kind of in that place right now and i'll talk about that in a minute but also, I think Terry Cole Whitaker wrote a book, you know, what you think of me is none of my business. Like, why would I care what you think of me, right? It's not really my business to know. That to me always says, you got to go back to the source where everything comes from, you know, comes from within. It comes from that light, that joy, that seed that you started with. Because I really feel like we all came with these seeds ready to blossom in this life. And we can choose not to let them blossom. But to me, it's really important to let them blossom because they have so much joy within them. Yeah. And, you know, and, and when you are stuck, I think those are really important times. You're stuck for a reason. Maybe you're doing it for the wrong reason. Maybe it's time. I was stuck for a while because what happened to my, my uh, angel songs for the little ones, I had poured myself into it for 10 years. And it wasn't going the way that I thought it was to go. And I got so discouraged, I just stopped for a while. Mm. And then I got the message, don't you know that these songs were for you? <laughs> They're really <laughs> not for the outside world. They're really for you. 52 songs later, right? Well, these songs are really for you. And that I was able to accept that at the time. But those songs also threw me into a place of mastering my craft because they were ordered. Somebody ordered them for a Sunday school course. So I had to get them out, I had to get them out in a timely fashion. And thank God for that, because it really helped me become very practical with my, my gift. And another thing I got to say is, because I'm still, I guess I'm still a little bit back on this, on what you were talking about just a moment ago, which is, I love when I heard Martha Graham's quote, you can never judge your own work, that set me free. You know, because I was yeah. like, hey, I don't have to be the one that has to say this is perfect. My job is more about getting the songs out there and allowing them to be than making them perfect. Because if I have to make them perfect, I will never get them out there. You know, uh, somebody said, you know, you need to be more like a butcher than a jeweler. <laughs> and I was like, I like that. It kind of sits my style, right? You know, just like move out, go ahead and move it out and, and allow it to just be what it is. And now I'm, I'm starting to do light language songs, which take out, you know, you were talking about technique and skill. I am grateful that I have the technique of the keyboard, of the piano, of the theory. And I have written all these songs because now I'm playing in a field of the let go, of letting all that stuff go, letting all that, this is how you record a song. You do it this and this and this way. And then just diving in and doing something and allowing it to be what is coming out of the gate. That's yeah. a new thing for me. And that's a whole new set of mastery for me. Yep. Yep. So learn this set, learn this technique, learn this process so that you can then let it go and do this other thing, which probably builds on the back of those, but it's asking you to master a yes. different set of techniques and um, challenges. Yeah, improv is the same. It, when you're going to improvise over a tune. Yeah. You got to know the tune yeah <laughs> you got to know the tune so you know where you where you are it's kind of this scaffolding around you've got to know where you are and then you can play 
Absolutely. And I feel like the, I'm trying to think of the application of improv to what I do. It's still there. Oh, you do it every time you paint, you do it. Yeah. You're improving. Yes, I think I probably am. And I think, but I don't think of it like that. That's so interesting. I definitely feel like I'm riffing. And I guess that's the same language, isn't it? But I have a sense that I'm riffing, <laughs> riffing off what I've done before. I'm riffing off what really interests me, what really, you know, like what colours and what shapes really light me up when it comes to my painting. So it definitely feels like I'm just riffing the whole time. And every now and then mm -hmm. I'll go, I'll do something completely different just to see what it looks like, just to see what it feels like. I'm grateful for having been stuck in the past with paintings in particular because mm -hmm. there is this incredible feeling of invincibility when you figure out how to move forward. Because mm. having been stuck and figuring out how to move forward is a great strength builder because the next time I came around to being stuck, I was just a fraction less scared that I would be stuck forever because that was my fear, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know how to get this thing moving forward. I don't know what to do next. I just know it's it sucks right now. <laughs> it's just not good. So I can't stop. So the embedded fear was one, I'm not good at this clearly because here's a demonstration, but two, that I'll never get any better, that this is as good as it gets, Michelle. And I think that that's a really interesting bit of internal dialogue and having worked through the stuckness and got something I really liked, it was like, oh, okay mm -hmm. so the next time was like well maybe this will work maybe it's not just right now because i find when i get stuck that it can be about the timing of something and i almost need to go off and do some other paintings or another you know one or three or five and when i come back i've got something different to bring into this painting and i usually get stuck when i kind of like it so i don't want to ruin the bits i like and then mm -hmm. that can lead to sort of a bit of a, a constriction because in the early phases of painting, everything is very free for me, you know, and I think this is a common experience for visual artists. You get a level of anything goes, play, just whack some colours down, cover the canvas, just cover your medium that you're working on. And so that freedom slowly morphs into something as you're refining and as you're sort of in that refining phase. And that's where I think people can bail. That's where I mm. almost bailed. You know, I kind of certainly stepped away and didn't paint for periods of time because the thing that I was working on or the couple of things I was working on just weren't coming together. People have, people have pointed to Ira Glass's commentary around this particular thing called the gap. He calls it the gap, the creative gap. And there's a really good YouTube story excerpt of him talking about this. And if you don't know Ira Glass, he's the producer and writer behind This American Life and you know, ha has a lot to say about storytelling. And he talks about the discomfort and the frustration mm -hmm. that occurs when our, mm -hmm. our desire and our ability to see the aesthetic in our mind's eye and what comes out being two vastly different things and that that can lead people to such a level of frustration because of that gap between what they're able to do because of where their techniques at because of where their practice is at and what they envisage they could do or what they see in their mind's eye that mm. they're trying to produce mm -hmm. 
And that gap can be a great undoing of many. And I think it's great to recognize that that's a thing. And it comes with the fact that we have this internal seed of desire to express ourselves in certain ways. But when we're early in our practice, our technique isn't up to scratch yet, just really Mm -hmm. doesn't produce what we imagine we want to produce. And so that gap can be painful and that gap can be actually quite destructive to people's creative path. So I think that that's a really important concept. And when I heard about it, I really released something in myself that said, okay, let go. We're just sitting in the gap. You know, I still have a very high aesthetic Mm -hmm. desire, but right now I just need to work on my technique. Keep making, keep making, keep making. Yes. Beautiful. You know, some, I need to share something that happened to me early on in my songwriter that helped songwriting that helped a lot. And I, I just want to say this out loud. It's important to take courses. It's important to learn from people that have gone before you. I was learning the basics of songwriting. And my teacher said to me, Jack Smalley, bless his heart. I love him forever because he always had that ability to accept whatever we brought as as the perfect place for us to be. Yeah. And he said, if you get stuck with a song, keep working backwards. In other words, where did you get stuck? Where was the stuck point? And of course, it's a little different than visual artistry because you're crafting it, you know, bar by bar and you're seeing where did you get stuck and go back there. I remember uh, when I was writing with this breath, I was sitting in um, a Sunday morning service with Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith, who's one of my mentors, and he spoke this like, with this breath, I be wed my true nature, my forever, my being, you know, and I was like, oh my God, this is like the of Solomon. I got to write a song to this. It took me like months and maybe five different versions to come up with the version that I finally said, oh, this is, this is it. Mm-hmm. And that little technique of, you know, let's keep going back. Where did it get stuck? Where did it lose its joy? Where did it lose its, I don't want to say integrity, but that's what it feels like. Like, where did it lose um, that specialness, yep. <laughs> yeah. you know, and to be able to go back and find out where that is. But I, I agree with you. I think it's important to allow yourself to be in the gap mm. and allow yourself, like I always, I always call it, allow yourself to be in first grade, you know, allow yourself to be in kindergarten again, allow yourself to, to just be, it's a beautiful place to be really. Yeah. And that place of the unknown of discovery of, of, Take the pressure off. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Guess one of the thoughts that I have about today's life as an artist and the concept of mastery is that we we can look to external measures, if you like, and that could be awards, Grammys, um, it could be downloads on your iTunes, whatever. There's numbers and metrics out there, and I think that that's Mm -hmm. that can be a bit of a trap. Absolutely. I want to sort of share this kind of as we're wrapping this particular quote from Raina Rilke, which says, being an artist means not reckoning and counting, but ripening like the tree which does not force its sap and stands confident in the storms of spring without fear that after them may come no summer. Mm, So beautiful. So our joy and our role as artists is to be that, expression and keep coming back to that seed of joy and energy that really lights us Mm -hmm. up. What does that look like? Mm. I feel that. Yes. Yes. Stay curious with yourself. 
Stay, stay beautiful. So anything else on the topic of our road to mastery and the whole concept of mastery that you wanted to share, Jennifer? Wow. I think we've, we've covered a good part of it today. I would say uh, if you can stay out of self-judgment and stay in curiosity, it'll be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And come back to the things that you love and perhaps that's aligned with your working backwards into the point of the song that really still works. You know, I feel that there is an equivalent in painting. You just paint out bits that you don't absolutely love and you come back to just the core of the painting that sings to you. So I feel like, yes, let's keep connecting with whatever aspect of our creative practice brings us joy. And if it stopped bringing you joy, then you need to go sideways and go have an adventure, go have a date, go do something completely different, go take a class, as you say, really get the juice going again, because it is a cycle. The great mastery of of this creative practice, that this creative life. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. It's great talking to you. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah. Yeah, you too. Yes, thank you so much. All right, everyone. Uh, you know, you can catch Jennifer at jenniferruthrussell.com and on her Patreon site, which is patreon.com forward slash Jennifer and Michael. And you can catch me at michellewalkerart.com and find me on Instagram, Michelle Walker Art. So we'd love to connect with you. Please feel free to send us in some comments or any questions or any thoughts that you've got that you would like us to discuss. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, everyone. Bye for now. Thank you, Michelle. Bye for now.